Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 1st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fulce, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court ended the common employer practice of rounding up employee time clock punches for calculating compliance with mandatory breaks and meals. Here's what happened in the case of Donahue versus AMN Services, LLC. AMN Services is a healthcare services and staffing company that recruits nurses for temporary contract assignments. Kennedy Donahue worked as a nurse recruiter at AMN's San Diego offices. Under California law, employers must generally provide employees with one 30-minute meal period that begins no later than the end of the fifth hour of work and another 30-minute meal period that begins no later than the end of the 10th hour of work. If an employer does not provide an employee with a compliant meal period, then the employer shall pay the employee one additional hour of pay for each workday that the meal period is not provided. AMN used an electronic timekeeping system called Team Time to track its employees' compensable time. Employees used their work desktop computers to punch in and out of team time, including at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of lunch, at the end of lunch, and at the end of the day. Team time rounded the time punches to the nearest 10-minute increment. For example, if an employee clocked out for lunch at 11.02 a.m. and clocked in after lunch at 11.25 a.m., Team Time would have recorded the time punches as 11 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. Thus, although the actual meal period was only 23 minutes, Team Time would have recorded the meal period as 30 minutes because of this rounding. AMN relied on the rounded time punches generated by Team Time to determine whether a meal period was short or delayed. Donahue filed a class action lawsuit against AMN alleging various wage and hour violations, including these meal period claims. Early on in the case, the trial court granted the employer's motion for summary judgment, and the Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal of the case, reasoning that AMN's rounding policy fairly compensated employees over time and there was insufficient evidence that supervisors at AMN prevented employees from taking compliant meal periods. But the California Supreme Court reversed the Court of Appeal and reinstated the class action lawsuit. The Supreme Court concluded that employers cannot engage in the practice of rounding time punches, that is, adjusting the hours that an employee has actually worked to the nearest preset time increment in the meal period context. The meal period provisions are designed to prevent even minor infringements on meal period requirements, and rounding is incompatible with that objective. It also held that the time records showing non-compliant meal periods raise a rebuttable presumption of meal period violations, including at the summary judgment stage of the case. 
The city of Long Beach recently enacted premium pay for grocery workers ordinance, which provides for a $4 per hour in premium pay for essential grocery workers who face higher risk during the COVID-19 pandemic. At a hearing on a request for a court-ordered injunction, an attorney for the California Grocers Association told a federal judge that a city of Long Beach ordinance interferes with ongoing labor negotiations under the federal law and therefore should be blocked. This association, which represents 6,000 grocery stores across California, filed the federal lawsuit against Long Beach on January 21, claiming companies operate on thin profit margins and that some have already given their workers hazard pay bonuses. Attorneys for the CGA said the ordinance would result in grocery stores being more crowded and food prices more expensive for customers. Upon filing its lawsuit in the Central District of California Federal Court, CGA moved for an ex parte basis temporary restraining order blocking enforcement of the ordinance. The next day, a U.S. District Judge who had been initially assigned the case denied its bid, ruling that the association failed to show how it would be irreparably harmed without emergency action by the court. The case has since been transferred to U.S. District Judge Otis Wright II. In court papers opposing an injunction, attorneys for the city of Long Beach cited reports of grocery store corporations, such as Kroger, earning eye-popping profits during the pandemic, while their frontline workers continued to face potential daily exposure to the coronavirus. In a virtual federal court hearing, the CGA attorney argued that a preliminary injunction should be granted because the ordinance's effect on collecting bar collective bargaining is preempted by the National Labor Relations Act. Judge Wright took the matter under submission and indicated a final ruling on the preliminary injunction would be issued soon. Tuesday's Long Beach hearing came on the same day the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors voted 4-1 to one to approve an urgency ordinance requiring national grocery and drugstore chains in unincorporated L.A. County to pay workers an extra $5 an hour in hero pay. The ordinance, which takes effect immediately and is enforceable for the next 120 days, cited frontline workers' higher risk of contracting COVID-19 and their ongoing labor contribution as justification for the wage increase. A California woman, 65-year-old Corby Kusiemba, sued her husband's employer because she believes he caught the coronavirus at work and then brought it home with him, ultimately infecting her as well. The couple tested positive for the virus last July, and both were hospitalized as a result. So she and her husband, Robert Kusiemba, alleged in their October lawsuit that his employer, Nevada-based Victory Woodworks violated local and federal virus safety guidelines when it moved workers from one site to another in the San Francisco region. The company's failure to take basic precautions allegedly caused Robert to contract the virus and unknowingly bring it home and infect his wife, 
and both required extended hospital stays and suffer from after-effects. This closely watched case was removed by the employer to the Federal District Court in Northern California on December 28. The removal was soon followed by a motion to dismiss filed on January 4, and then a hearing on that motion on February 12. Following the February 12 hearing, the federal judge ruled that the first, second, and third, and fifth causes of action titled respectively negligence, negligence per se, negligent premises liability, and loss of consortium were barred by the exclusive remedy provisions of California's workers' compensation statutes. The court also ruled that the couple's fourth cause of action does not meet the required threshold or standing to hold Robert's employer liable for creating a public nuisance. However, the plaintiffs were given leave to file a first amended complaint no later than March 19, 2021. A proposed class action just filed in federal court in California alleges sun-made growers of California has failed to pay proper wages and provide adequate meal and rest breaks to workers at its raisin and dried fruit processing plant. The plaintiff alleges in the 55-page complaint that the company has unilaterally and unlawfully failed to accurately calculate overtime wages to avoid paying them. Further, SunMade allegedly has failed to accurately record the amount of time employees work despite being required by law to do so and permitted work to be done off the clock without pay. More specifically, the lawsuit alleges SunMade required employees to work while clocked out during what was supposed to be off-duty meal breaks. The suit claims, however, the plaintiff was from time to time interrupted by work assignments, and there were many days where the man did not even receive a partial lunch. The lawsuit also claims SunMade failed to pay wages, including overtime for every hour worked, such that employees were, in aggregate, underpaid wages due to the defendant's pattern and practice of unevenly rounding their hours worked. Interestingly, the case also alleges SunMade failed to reimburse workers for business expenses, in particular for the required use of their personal cell phones for work purposes. SunMade has not yet entered an appearance in the federal case and has not filed any responsive documents. And now our crime report. Back in 2002, Ruben Martinez and his son Alex Martinez opened a medical clinic in Calexico. Then in 2009, a chiropractor, Dr. Stephen Rigler, moved his practice into that clinic and examined patients who were receiving workers' compensation benefits and who were referred to him by Reuben and Alex. Dr. Riggler did not pay rent or utilities or contribute to the salaries of the clinic staff. In exchange, Riggler permitted Reuben and Alex to determine the providers to whom Dr. Riggler's patients would be referred for ancillary medical services. These ancillary service providers compensated Reuben and Alex kickbacks for the referrals and Reuben and Alex split the referral fees evenly. Now, in 2010, enter Gonzalo Ernesto Paredes, 
who was the office manager for an entity called Advanced Radiology in Beverly Hills, owned by Dr. Ronald Grust. Ruben Martinez entered into an agreement with Parides on behalf of Dr. Grust, through which Advanced Radiology would pay Ruben another referral fee for patients referred to Advanced Radiology for magnetic resonance imaging scans. Parides and Grust were charged and tried in federal criminal court for these crimes in 2017. Dr. Grust was found guilty on all 42 counts that went to the jury. The jury hung on the counts against Paredes, his office assistant. Thus, the federal case against Paredes was subsequently dismissed by the government without prejudice pending his trial on state charges. Then a jury in the state court trial found Paredes guilty of 35 counts of offering or delivering compensation for workers' compensation patient referrals and 16 counts of concealing an event affecting an insurance claim. The trial court sentenced Paredes to an aggregate term of five years in prison. Now the case is on appeal. On appeal, Paredes claims that the prosecutor committed misconduct during his examination of one of the witnesses and during closing arguments by suggesting the existence of facts not in evidence and he had other claims about the evidence in his trial. But the Court of Appeal affirmed his conviction in the unpublished case of People v. Gonzalo Ernesto Paredes. The appellate court rejected his arguments one by one and concluded that there was substantial evidence supporting his conviction. Two California residents were sentenced for defrauding Affordable Care Act programs in at least 12 states for more than $27 million. 63-year-old Jeffrey White was sentenced to 36 months of imprisonment and three years of supervised release. And his son, 35-year-old Nicholas White, was sentenced to 13 months of imprisonment and three years of supervised release. Both of them reside in Twin Peaks, California, which is up by Lake Arrowhead. The two conspired to defraud health care plans operating under the Affordable Care Act by fraudulently enrolling individuals in ACA plans in states where the individuals did not live. The Whites did this by creating phony residential leases using fictitious landlords in various states. The Whites also used an online application to obtain false cell phone numbers for the individuals with area codes that made it appear that the individuals lived at the fictitious addresses. And they also provided false cell phone numbers to the ACA plans. If anyone at the ACA plan called the false local number, the call would ring through to a phone controlled by the Whites. In order to enroll the individuals in an ACA plan, the Whites paid the insurance premiums for the individuals and also paid to have the individuals transported to California, where the individuals were placed in expensive residential substance abuse treatment programs. The treatment programs then billed the ACA plans for thousands of dollars of treatment each week, including claims for expensive laboratory tests such as blood and urine toxicology screenings. 
The treatment programs paid the whites thousands of dollars in kickbacks for each referral, and some programs arranged for the whites to receive a percentage of the money the treatment programs received from the ACA health insurance plans. In order to maximize their proceeds from the fraud scheme, the whites enrolled individuals in ACA plans in states that paid the highest amount for substance abuse treatment, even though the individuals did not live in those states. Their scheme resulted in more than $27 million in losses to ACA plans across the country, including California. 63-year-old Felipe Suarez Barrosio, who lives in Atwater and who is the owner of Agriculture Services, Inc., and his daughter, 34-year-old Angelita Barrosio of Merced, were each sentenced to 10 years after pleading no contest to six felony counts of insurance fraud. They will both serve six years in custody and four years on mandatory supervision. They have also been ordered to pay more than $2.5 million in restitution, which is the amount of workers' compensation insurance premium they avoided paying over the five years. Barrosio and his daughter underreported an employee payroll by $11 million in order to fraudulently reduce the business's premium for workers' comp coverage. The state fund filed a suspected fraudulent claim with the California Department of Insurance alleging potential insurance fraud. Then an investigation revealed that Barrosio and his daughter, who worked as the office manager, provided the state fund with fabricated quarterly employee payroll reports. The department discovered $11 million in missing payroll when they compared the quarterly report submitted to the state fund to the quarterly report submitted to the Employment Development Department. The Merced County District Attorney's Office prosecuted this case. 33-year-old Stephanie Mirando, who lives in West Covina, was arraigned on multiple counts of grand theft and insurance fraud after allegedly making misrepresentations following a COVID-19 diagnosis in an attempt to collect over $33,000 in workers' comp benefits. An investigation began after receiving a claim of suspected fraud from Mirando's employer, the Baldwin Park Unified School District. Miranda was reportedly exposed to COVID-19 while in the workplace and subsequently filed a workers' comp claim. She told her employer that she self-quarantined from July until August and reported she only left her house twice to buy medicine for her mother and sister who were also diagnosed with COVID-19. Miranda reported her symptoms related to the COVID-19 diagnosis were so severe she was unable to work. The investigation, however, found that during the time Mirando claimed she was self-quarantining, she was seen shopping at multiple stores for several hours a day and interacting with people from outside her immediate household without a face mask. Further, investigators uncovered that Mirando traveled to Lake Havasu with people who live outside her household just two days after she reported she was still experiencing symptoms to the doctor overseeing her claim. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting this case. 
And in regulatory news, the DWC has posted the 2019 Ethics Advisory Committee's annual report on its website. This committee is independent from the DWC, and it is charged with reviewing and monitoring complaints of misconduct filed against workers' compensation administrative law judges. The EAC is required to make a public report each year summarizing activities in the previous calendar year. Anyone may file a complaint with the EAC. Complaints may be submitted anonymously, but must be in writing. Of the 27 new complaints received in 2019, the committee considered 24 and resolved 21. Two resulted in findings of judicial misconduct. In one of those cases, a defense attorney complained that for some time, the attorneys at the firm have been under the impression that a judge acted with bias, often prejudicing claims, and has exhibited behavior that they would classify as bullying of defendants. Then in the specific case reported by this attorney, the judge was belligerent and threatening and would not allow the attorney to speak, rebut, refute, or explain anything in violation of Labor Code 5311. Based upon its review of the investigation, the EAC found ethical violations, including ex parte communications, prejudging the case, and a violation of Canon 3B4 for failing to be patient, dignified, and courteous. And in another case, a lien representative complained that over 43 lien hearings have been held without a final order for a 75-year-old doctor's lien. The complainant claimed that since 2011, 30 hearings have been held before the judge, who has deliberately delayed final adjudication of the lien. Among other claims, the lien claimant reported that rude and punitive approaches to hearings is a representative of the judge's treatment of the complainant in all hearings. The judge forced the parties to stay until the lunch hour or the end of the day to receive a disposition unless the disposition was settlement, an unopposed continuance, or an order taking the case off calendar. The EAC found a violation of Canon 3B4 for failing to be patient, dignified, and courteous. The National Council on Compensation Insurance reports that while it obviously represented challenges, 2020 is looking to look be like may be like it not has been such a bad year for workers' compensation insurers and insureds after all. Insurers took in less premium, but they paid fewer claims. They managed to achieve one of the lowest combined ratios in history. And an increasing number of workers were able to be treated by way of telemedicine, meaning they did not have to travel. Injured workers, including COVID claimants, appear to have received their medical care without much delay. And the vast majority of COVID-19 claimants needed only limited treatment. On the downside, 2020 may have seen a return of opioid overprescribing. The NCCI looked at results through the third quarter of 2020 and extended those through the end of the year. It concluded that workers' compensation loss costs have been on a downward trend for years 
and expense ratios have been climbing. The percentage of COVID-19 claims among all workers' compensation paid claims has varied greatly among states and occupations, and has as has the decrease in non-COVID claims. At least 17 states have passed laws or issued orders that expanded access to workers' comp benefits for employees who contract COVID-19, and many of those directives are creating new exposure for only a sliver of the workforce. Although the nation's focus may have shifted to the coronavirus pandemic, the opioid crisis has not only remains a challenge, but also may have worsened due to COVID. Written premium for the full calendar year of 2020 is expected to be the lowest since 2012. The NCCI figures are calendar year and do not reflect the full costs of treating COVID-19 or other health conditions with long-term effects. Overall for 2020, NCCI projects an 8% decline in premium, to $38.6 billion nationwide, the lowest since 2014. That is accompanied by a 7.6% decline in losses and a favorable 86% calendar year combined ratio. Worker claims due to the COVID-19 have ranged from no symptoms to critical care hospitalization and unfortunately fatalities in some cases. But the overall COVID-19 claims picture is by no means dire. The larger majority of the cases are small and have only required the injured worker to miss work and quarantine or recover at home. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts, and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.